Hi, I'm Rabbi Becky J, and you're listening to Drinking and Droshing, Torah with a Twist. And did you know that hummingbirds are the only birds that can fly backwards? Hey, Gabe. Hey, Amanda. Um, I am a little frustrated. Yeah, why is that? Because I thought going to rabbinical school meant that I wouldn't need to deal with math. Um, yeah, I don't think there's really much math that rabbis have to do. What do you, what math are you thinking of? So right now in this Torah portion and in this calendar year, we are dealing with a whole holiday that deals with math. We're dealing with this thing and, and we have to bless over it. This idea of we're commanded all Sifirat HaOmer to bless, to count the Omer. To, what is this Omer? So the Omer is the seven weeks in between Passover and Shavuot. We count every day, 49 days, and on the 50th day after Passover, we have the Feast of Weeks, seven of them, Shavuot. That's a lot of counting. That's like more than my hands, more than my toes, but I'm in. The thing that I really seem to like about the Omer, even if I'm not so down with the numbers of it all, is that it really makes me think about each day as it comes and about how I interact with people on those days. And I'm super stoked because the person that we're going to speak to today does have a lot to say about how we interact with each other and also the things that we say and how much those matter. I'm excited to hear it. I am too. And I'm pretty sure she's waiting on us. And I happen to know she's been here before, so we should probably hurry. Let's go. Abraham Joshua Heschel's The Sabbath, there is a discussion that Shabbat is a palace in time. And I have to tell you, I've always loved this idea of having holy time, holy moments that we hold so dear and so special to our lives and also make us think about, you know, how we live our everyday lives when we aren't in those special moments. Lucky for us this evening, I am so, so stoked because we are having a holy moment, especially with the guest who is coming to speak with us about this week's Parsha, Parshat, and more. Rabbi Becky Jay serves as the program manager for Amor, the Institute for Bold Jewish Thought, a project of Terua. As the day-to-day leader of its programs, Becky works to accomplish Amor's mission of bringing together diverse voices to have courageous conversations about today's most important moral and political issues. Rabbi Jay was ordained as a rabbi at Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion in New York City in 2022, where she was a Tisch Fellow. She earned a Master's of the Arts in Religion from Yale Divinity School in 2017 and Bachelor of the Arts in American Studies from Yale College in 2011. Rabbi Jay was also a Yale China Teaching Fellow for two years, during which she worked for the Yale China Association to launch a new site for their teaching fellows at Sun Yat-sen University in Guangdong Province, PRC. Raised in a biracial and interfaith home, Rabbi Jay has committed her rabbinate to creating more inclusive spaces for Jews to gather and honor each other's holiness, diversity, and humanity. In her endeavors to make Jewish spaces more inclusive, she's worked with the Union for Reform Judaism, 
Auburn Seminary, Hebrew Union College, Jewish Institute of Religion, and Amud, the Jews of Color Torah Academy. Rabbi Becky J, we are so thrilled to welcome you back to Drinking and Drashing Torah the Twist, this time as our featured guest and forever friends. Hi. <laughs> it is so wonderful to see you in this space and to get to speak with you, to get to hear some of your own Omrim this evening. I am so thrilled that you're here and really just happy to be reunited. Me as well. I cannot wait to hear about the drink for this week's podcast. Midrashic Mixology wouldn't be possible. That is without our favorite co-host with the Comos. So Gabe Snyder, we're all reunited and I am so excited to see you and also to like be able to just all three of us be in the same space. So Gabe, how's it going? It's going great. I guess you could say it is the co-most. <laughs> I love it. The co-most. All right. So I will say that we are missing one ray of sunshine because he's working super hard. But a big shout out to you, Don Volman, for making sure that all of us got our tech set up before this episode started. We love you. We're excited to always have you. And we hope that you are having an excellent, holy time in the work that you're doing this evening. For the rest of us, we have a big episode to push out there, so let's get started right now. Hey, Gabe. Hey, Amanda. What's the word, hummingbird? What do what do hummingbirds say? Like, is that what hummingbirds do? Like, I don't know what sound a hummingbird makes. I mean, I know it flaps its wings a lot, but here's the deal. You said hummingbirds go really, really quickly, right? That they go, what was that noise again? Okay, so do you think that you can do this week's Parsha on a more, right? The the word somebody really is speaking um, as quickly as a hummingbird? Um, Probably not, but I can try. Let's go. We start off this week with two full chapters on rules for priests. Some quick highlights. Don't get too close to dead bodies. Don't shave your head. Don't cut your sideburns. Don't intentionally cut your skin. Don't marry a woman who's not a virgin. Kill your unmarried daughter if she has sex. If you're a high priest, the rules get a bit stricter, if you can believe it. Also, men of the priestly line with any disability are not eligible to participate in priestly rituals. What are those rituals? Well, I'm glad you asked. We've gone over those a lot, and I really don't want to spend the time on them right now. So if you're interested, go check out Leviticus chapter 22 or really any of our episodes from Leviticus so far. Moving on, time is a thing and it's important. God has given specific days that are to be set apart as special, sacred even. First off, 14th day of the first month, Passover offering and a week off of work full of unleavened bread. By the way, a lot of these are going to revolve around agriculture and harvest times. What should you do when you harvest crops? Bring some to the priest. In fact, bring the first sheaf to the priest who will offer it on Sunday because that's nice for some reason. Also, offer an unblemished lamb and some flour and oil and wine. Cool. So after that Passover offering, count seven weeks. Hey, we're doing that now. On the 50th day, another festive offering. Let's call this one the Feast of Weeks. Shavuot! Back to agricultural law for a second, leave the edges of your field and anything you drop for the poor or the stranger. Next up, first day of the seventh month, a day of complete rest and tranquility complete with loud horns and a sacrifice. Makes sense to me. Shortly thereafter, on the tenth day of the seventh month, a day of atonement. Afflict yourself and bring an offering to God. This is the Shabbat of all Shabbats, a time of utmost rest and reflection. 
The seventh month is looking pretty busy because on the 15th day, we have the Festival of Booths, Sukkot. Make sure you bring an offering, live in a hut, and shake some branches around because reasons. That's the calendar, but there's still more to and more. God likes lamps, but only the finest fuel will do. Pure olive oil set up outside the tent of meeting. We'll get more details on this candelabra thing in Parashat Beha'alotecha. God, like me, apparently loves bread, so 12 loaves go onto a table with some incense in a specific pattern. Aaron and sons get to eat this bread. Lucky them. Story time. The son of an Israelite woman named Shilomit Bat Dibri of the tribe of Dan and an Egyptian man used God's name in blasphemy. He was brought before Moses, who sentenced him to death. Don't do that. Also, don't kill people or hurt them. The punishment, an eye for an eye. And that's Parashat Emor. Wow. <laughs> that was impressive. I feel like there's a lot going on in this Torah portion, and it goes in many different directions, which is hard to summarize. Because <laughs> there's sacrifices and a calendar, and there's the story of the... Israelite man whose father is an Egyptian, and also the Egyptian man and the son aren't named, but the mother is, which, like, never happens. And so that's the thing. There's a lot going on. So much. So much. Gabe, that was incredible. I can't even speak that quickly. Like, so that was incredible. I know for me, when we were in school together, I always looked up to you to see how to say things, how to understand words and the power of words and what they were looking like and how they might sound or how they might come across. And sometimes I realize that the things that we say aren't always the way that they're heard or the way that they're meant, and it gets confusing. And so I was really excited when I heard that you were taking over as the program manager for Amor, the Institute for Bold Jewish Thought, please, a, a project of Jura, but also a place where it seems like words really matter and can have such a strong impact. And I was hoping that you might be willing to share with our listeners a little bit more about this project that you're working on and what it means to have bold Jewish thought. That's such a great question to lead into. Um, so Emor means speak, and that is the core of what we are trying to do at this Institute for Bold Jewish Thought. Um, we were created actually as a response to the well-funded right-wing Jewish think tanks and institutes that have created publications and also disseminated resources that are really um, interpreting Judaism in a way that we would like to supplement and counter because to us, there are alternative forms of interpreting Jewish texts so that we can really affirm the dignity of all human beings who live on this earth. And um, it is also a responsibility that when we speak words to power, that we do so with a great sense of responsibility, which I think is all over our Torah portion this week um, in many ways. But that sense of responsibility and taking our words very seriously requires that we also create a space for people to share their thoughts, their words in a safe way, in a nuanced way. And it 
in a community that will listen to the nuance that it brings. And so Emor, this Institute for Bold Jewish Thought, we're trying to host these very courageous, hard conversations about what it means to be Jewish, what it means to live in a democracy, what it means to be who we are today in the world that we live in, and bring those values of ethics and that responsibility, call it to justice in the moment, for the moment, and for the future. This is clearly such a wonderful and important mission. And, you know, as you said, there are very clear values behind it. Um, I'm curious, though, how your values draw you to that work. What are the things that uh, brought you into Amor? Um, how do you see yourself reflected in those values? What values do you bring to the table? This is a hard question for me to answer. I think that I'm still parsing out, which I think is going to be a lifelong project, what my Jewish values are and when to call them into action, when to bring them to the table, and when to um, also take the step back of honoring um, others' values so that um, I can continue to learn and be a a good neighbor, like a good brother, sister, what, like a good Jewish community member to my fellow. At Emor, what I love that we do as a bold thought institute is we're actually like bringing bold thoughts to the table, thoughts that like I have um, sometimes when they're spoken in a webinar or written down in a, a white paper, I actually say like, wow, that person is so courageous to say this because we don't really live in a place right now in a moment where we can take everyone at their best word. And to have people pause, almost like we do in this like Torah portion, like there are all of these pauses for the holidays, for the things that we celebrate, like this incorporating that pause into the way that we encounter each other when we're sharing thought is really just, uh, for me as a program manager, a gift to facilitate but also um, it's really affirming and validating because like how many times are we on the other side of a conversation and we walk away saying like, I wish I gave that moment pause or, you know, like I wish I had the pleasure or luxury of pause to just express myself a little deeper in that moment. And what could have resulted if we we actually took pause to do that? Almost like what if we, let's say, a Shavuot for someone else's thoughts. Like, what would that mean if we were to apply, like, the holiday of Shavuot, right, which we're commanded to observe during this Torah portion, and just spent a day, a whole night, eating cheesecake, drinking coffee, and really trying to learn the core of someone else's thought and mindset? Like, what would that mean if we were to do that, I think bringing in those moments of pause and honor and humility to understanding how, you know, issues about Israel, issues about democracy, issues about free speech really require that pause for us to come to a place where everyone can be afforded that luxury of true and genuine rights to free speech, for example. That, to me, is a value like not only I mean I'm always trying to cultivate those that value of like inserting pause um but it's also like seeing the soul of another like truly facing someone and seeing 
and learning what is that mind? Like how precious is that mind? And how can I hold that mind as it's so precious? Those thoughts, they're one in a million, right? So like, how do we do that at Amor? Um, And how do we honor that nuance? I really appreciate that. I was just speaking with Gabe this morning, which sounds like so staged in terms of recording. Um, But I really was talking with Gabe this morning on our drive to school um, about a teaching that I just heard about taking a pause uh, when you hear something and then finding or figuring out if you're going to respond or if you're going to react. And that generally responding like is thoughtful and it's, you know, you're, you're wanting to deepen the relationship and reaction is quick. And it, it you know, it, it's this ability to just like, you're not really thinking it through and it can be dangerous. Um, and I was thinking about all of these sections in Amora where we're speaking to things that are difficult, right? There are, there are moments in here that we don't necessarily hold on to, right? I'm not trying to kill anybody because they are engaging in, in physical intimacy if that's what they choose to do. I'm not trying to, you know, strike people down for blasphemy. That's that's not in my wheelhouse. But, I, I, you know, those are reactions, or I think that those are reactions. And when I hear you speaking to this point about pausing, taking a second to really take it in, and then giving a true response, I think that that then leads to our ability to be responsible for one another, right? And they come from the same word, this idea of respond and responsible. And so when we think about Amor, and I think about the work that you're doing, both the, the Parsha and, you know, the, the brave Jewish, big Jewish thought that we're working towards, I think about what that means in regards to our responsibility for one another. Any thoughts that you might have on that that you might want to share with us? I mean, we I know that you have a real love of making sure that everybody feels heard and uplifted. Um, I do. I have a deep love for that. Um, and thanks for knowing me so well. That feels so good to be seen in this moment like that. So I just want to say thank you. When we speak about or when we bring up the idea of speaking, it's incumbent upon us to listen. Right. If if no one can hear or no one pays mind to the ideas that are coming from each other, even if they're very difficult to carry, then where are we as a community? I'm reading this lovely book um, right now by Danya Ruttenberg on repentance and repair. Um, I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, um, making amends in an unapologetic world. And I'm a huge believer in the power of like everyday teshuva. And I think that that is part of what being in relationship means. Even if teshuva like comes a little later uh, than we expect it to. Um, But always thinking and listening, listening beyond the words and listening to the silences in between that might speak louder than words because um, there's no one there who feels safe to say them out loud. I think that when we pay attention to the needs of our community, we only expand the heart and we become it's not just that we expand the heart. It's like a breaking of what we know and an expansion of the heart to hold what is broken. 
And it's kind of a miracle in the way that I see it because you would think that now I'm just thinking about our <laughs> our publication at Amor Fragments. You would think that when we break something like a clay kodesh, a vessel, that the shards might hurt you, right? Because they're sharp. I think that the miracle that I've found that accompanies safe and honest and courageous conversation is that the heart expands and it's able to hold the shards without puncturing, without breaking. And maybe that's just like a miracle of active listening, compassionate listening, of empathy, of being in community with another and respect. Like maybe that's just what happens to your heart when you embody respect, right? Like you're able to hold the sharpness of the clay kodesh when it breaks and you're learning something new and your heart is able to hold the shards without breaking itself. That is kind of how I understand inclusivity when it comes to communities and identity. Inclusivity when it comes to like opening up a community that has formed an identity that is a clay kodesh itself but sometimes it has to break a little to let something more come in. And the miracle is, is that when the hearts of everybody in the community expand to hold those shards, they don't break when everything says like they should, or they don't like get cut, right? Everything says that they should, but that's what having a blanket of respect does to the human soul. It protects it. And when we're having these discussions, we're able to just be with each other more authentically and kind of get over, I don't know, the differences that make us beautiful, but sometimes also separate us so that we can reach like one common goal, which could be like affirming everyone's right to free speech, affirming human dignity. Like that, I think, is my Judaism, if you were to ask me on one foot on this Tuesday. And it means that it's also always changing and it's always, it requires a sense of like growth and teshuva and um, hard truths about oneself, that it is our responsibility, our Jewish responsibility to face so that we can be better community members to each other. Whenever somebody talks about a clay kodesh or the shattering of vessels or really any of it. it. My, I don't know about other people. For me, my head immediately goes to like a person who I would describe as like modern day prophet who would flatly reject that title, Leonard Cohen, um, who is often quoted as saying there's a crack in everything and that's how the light gets in. Um, and the thing about that quote, it's a great quote. Like, it's on t-shirts. People love that quote. They often don't include the line before in the song anthem. This, the line before is, forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And so I'm thinking about this week's Torah portion where we've got all of these sacrifices that we're talking about. And it's all about, you know, the unblemished lamb. Like all of the sacrifices are an unblemished lamb or a perfect pigeon or whatever it is. Um, we've all lived in New York. There's no such thing as a perfect pigeon. But moving on, it also occurs to me that like in this Torah portion, we're very explicitly told that uh, atypical and different bodies 
are not welcome within the priesthood. We're told really specifically that there are barriers to entry uh, and that everything needs to be perfect in order to serve God. And so I bring that up because, as Leonard Cohen said, forget that perfect offering. And I love what you said about being this clay Kodesh. What I think is interesting, though, is that you're not really talking about like a clay vessel that's delicate and breakable. You're talking about something that can expand, something that can uh, really grow to encompass more. In Hasidism, we we think of this idea of like tzimtzum, of God contracting God's self to uh, fit the universe inside. Um, and, you know, I'm almost thinking of like, what's the opposite of tzimtzum, of like, let's see how big we can make ourselves, how big we can make our hearts to swallow everything up. I am curious, you know, how we look at this Torah portion in light of that uh, you know, not rejection of perfection, but uh, in light of this recognition of difference and diversity and of the fact that that diversity can bring even more meaning to our relationships with other people and with our communities and with God. Thoughts, Rabbi? The first is, I think that's like the best thing anyone's ever said to me in the way you said it. Thoughts, Rabbi? Um, that. <laughs> <laughs> the second is I think that diversity is beautiful and that does not actually mean that it's not difficult to um like and dif- like difference is hard sometimes right like it's not as though okay so for instance when I read this Torah portion I think oh this is just a very structured way of having a checklist and someone who knows <laughs> someone I'm saying had decision fatigue and this is a really structured way of making a quick decision who can be a co- like who can be a priest and who cannot be a priest is it fair in my mind absolutely not was there maybe a rational logic like during the time that would probably befuddle me still? Yes. Is there a spiritual logic as to why they made these decisions? Probably yes, right? Like I can think of many things and I'm happy for people to disagree with me, which is why I'm saying probably um, because I don't know. I don't assume that I'm right. Um, I just know what I know in this moment and can make that assertion. And also another part of me is like, oh, they were making it easy for themselves, right? Okay, so what counts as a blemish and what doesn't count as a blemish? Well, if I just see like a perfect lamb without any of this ambiguity, that's my sacrifice. Okay, so when we get to these questions of difference, I think we sometimes, um, I mean, it's natural. I think that we can like really focus on the beauty of difference and diversity And then get very confused when difference means that we have to have difficult conversations about like what your difference means in my life and what my difference means in your life and how being in relationship with one another changes the dynamics of X, Y, and Z. And um, that's to me what family is and that's to me what life is, right? Um, I think that we've... We've gotten into a really great 
place in a lot of um, contemporary texts where we're able to see how difference and diversity really does equate to something creative and beautiful and something that's just purely human. We're all different. We're all diverse. And that is human. That's beautiful to me. We're also required to do that like extra questioning of why, how, and now like what does it mean for us? And what does it mean for the future? You know, this Torah portion, it's, there are a lot of rules. <laughs> um, and there there are, in some ways, like, it's it's really nice to have that, um, to have that kind of matbeach, that structure that we have of what to do, what's allowed, and what's not allowed. And it's a part of our history. It's a part of our tradition and there are other ways that we can influence that tradition and create new ones for for ourselves. Um, and also, you know, I'm very grateful that we live in a time where, like, we can disagree with the text openly and not be excommunicated from our community, from our communities, um, and just say, like, yeah, the ending of this parsha is really rough. You have someone who's targeted as multi-ethnic uh, and stoned to death because um he supposedly blasphemes god but like what i want to know is like what is that in the context of the bible like what does that mean what was blasphemy did it mean saying like well um you know there are other faiths that can exist or did it mean saying like I want to eat bacon today. You know, like there are, there are so many different ways that that could be interpreted from a modern context. So when we talk about having those courageous conversations, part of me is like, well, yeah, some of the stuff we would say today as Jews is blasphemous according to our Torah. And Maybe it is my responsibility to just make sure that this is an example that we just label as like, it does not have to be this way. <laughs> or as you said in our like Torah rundown, like, don't do that, right? Like, <laughs> maybe this is one of those moments and that's how we're growing together. So I want to say that I love the idea of growth. Um, I love your option of pushing back against the text. I actually want to push back against Gabe in a reading that he just gave. But I also want to say that your comment on diversity was what sparked that pushback. And so Gabe talked about the fact that um, our sacrifices generally are supposed to be unblemished, are supposed to be perfect. And that can be really difficult. One of the interesting things about that is that it also meant that every sacrifice was equal. You know, the idea was that every person was supposed to have an equal offering. And the only way that that could happen, potentially, would be if a, a sacrifice was unblemished, which I find fascinating. I also think it's interesting because I think a lot of the things that Amor does in one site is really, really beautiful and, like, holy and deals with, you know, an emphasis on ethical behavior, an emphasis on justice and the importance of justice and making sure that everyone is treated equally and fairly. We might say life's not fair, but Amor disagrees. They're like, no, everyone should be treated fairly. Life should be fair. Let's make that happen. You know, and also the protection of these vulnerable populations, like really ensuring 
that everybody is heard, that the orphans, the widows, the poor, the stranger, people are really trying to, you know, be a part of this community. And as you just said, one of the most problematic situations that we have is a difficulty in diversity and fairness and equality when it comes to gender, when it comes to physical ability, when it comes to ethnicity. And so holding both of these somewhat contrasting, maybe even warring values all in one Torah portion can be difficult, especially when they don't necessarily speak to our branch of Judaism or our view of the way that we practice Judaism, whatever that might mean for us, or I will say for Gabe, for Amanda, for for Rabbi Becky J, or for our listeners listening at home. And so how can we take the underlying moral imperatives that Amor gives us, the things that we speak to, and hold the difficulties that we hear that are also being spoken at the same time? How can we live that moral imperative while also maintaining that we fall short a lot of the time? First of all, Amanda, like, yes, absolutely. Um, I just want to clarify, I don't know, like, I actually don't think the rabbis had decision fatigue, maybe just a little, but like, yes, that is like the problem that there is a rationale as to like why these rules exist. And that rationale made sense for context, um, ensuring that everyone had an equal sacrifice and offering, for instance, what comes to mind is um, actually a a book that is part of like my canon called The Person You Mean to Be by Dolly Chug, where she speaks about failing upwards, about how we are all just human, which means that we are, we have that crack, right? Like we are imperfect. That is what it means to be human. And there's never going to be a day when I do 100% of the things correctly, right? Like I can speak to social justice issues and have very, very high values for myself when it comes to justice and equity. And I will just openly say, like, I do not support unfair labor practices. And I know that probably a majority of the clothing in my closet are products of factories that if I were to visit in person would probably be soul-wrenching, heart-wrenching to see. And engaging in the dichotomy of like what we try to be versus what we are, for me at least, is an everyday struggle. But we lose our humanity when we just simply stop trying. And I'm not sure if that could really exist in anyone, like really just like 100% living up to every single moral and ethical value that we have. But that is just a paradigm of like what humanity is and why learning is so important and why like continually breaking open your mind to incorporate new truths despite how difficult they are to incorporate and even more so to live. That is what we do. That is a human endeavor. And so when we live that way, 
it comes down to knowing that the two exist within us and the fight and struggle, but also the win occurring when we decide to keep on going, to keep on learning. I feel like we could keep having this conversation for hours, um, both because it's an interesting conversation and but also because we've built such a wonderful space here. And I just want to name that and appreciate it that this is like a really nice circle of people. I'm I'm feeling very privileged to be in this Zoom room. Um, so as long as the Zoom room still exists and we, you know, have this platform, Rabbi J, which is a thing I've never called you, Becky, if you had one message, one uh, piece of wisdom, one call to action that you wanted to leave listeners with, what do you want people to walk away with? I've been really blessed with a lot of mentors who have really brought me along the way and taught me a lot. I would say that for at least right now, the keep trying is something like I deeply need to hear for myself. And knowing that that's what that's what makes us human, like that ability to get up every day, even in in despair when like hope feels lost. The reason I keep trying is because I am surrounded by not just like people like you who are on this call, um, or I guess on this podcast, but people just trying to keep on going and make the world like a little better day by day, smile by smile, word by word, showing up to listen. All of that is trying. So that is what I would say. Like this Torah portion, it's, you know, it is, it's hard, it's rough, life for life. I mean, for me, when I read that, I see nefesh tachat nefesh, it's soul for soul. So what does it mean to live a life when on this earth with other humans when we approach them soul for soul? I'd like to give life to the soul that's in front of me, um, and I can only do that by trying. And whatever that means for anybody, <laughs> take it and like just go with it. Like a kite in the wind. Go with that hope. And if you ever need some, call me <laughs> um, because... We're vats of hope for each other and we need to we need to come together. And what gives me hope is knowing that like I can rest on you two for hope um, when my vat is a little low and knowing that you two can do the same when you come to me. The Torah portion is not the end of the story because we're keeping we're keeping on keeping on and we're going to keep trying for a Torah that like we are excited to read and not one that scares us. You know, Gabe, they say to everything there is a season. There's even a song about it. And I don't know if you know, but a lot of the time, even around Shavuot and Sukkot, both this song is sung, turn, 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 right? Like there is a season, there are things that we get excited about. And in more, it's really nice because we talk about a lot of holidays and things that are important and things that we get to celebrate. You would agree, right? Absolutely. Yeah. This uh, Torah portion has, has a lot to say about the calendar and about uh, the holidays and festivals. 
And you would agree that in those moments that we celebrate, we make them holy with perhaps a drink. Oh, I think I see where you're going here. Well, for all of those holidays, for all of that special time in our calendar, we present the Jewish time. We're starting out with an infused simple syrup, maple syrup for those sweet festivals, lemon juice for the not-so-much, about a quarter cup of each into a pot with a handful of thyme sprigs. Sprigs? Stems? Whatever it is, it's a pun. That gets brought to a gentle boil for five minutes, then removed from heat and let it cool to room temp. Strain it into a sealable container and keep it in the fridge until you're ready to make the cocktail. In a shaker, two ounces of bourbon and one ounce of lemon maple thyme syrup. If you want to get extra crazy, add in an egg white for the cyclical nature of our calendar. That part is optional, though, because Amanda is making a face. I actually wrote that down. Also, for a non-alcoholic Jewish time, use a chilled black tea instead of bourbon. Either way, add some ice, shake it up, and strain over fresh ice. For the ashes of the sacrifices, zest some lemon over top, and garnish with a thyme sprig for all of our agrarian Jewish times. See you next time. Lechaim. Whoa, that was amazing. I wrote it down. Um, (laughs) phenomenal (laughs) i love that love it like i am gonna make it tonight for sure fantastic i'm excited to hear about it (laughs) i'll send you a snap um and i can't wait because i mean i'm just deciding should today be maple or lemon juice i don't know maybe a little bit of both i might change it yeah it should be a little of both a little bit of a little bit of the sour a little bit of the sweet it's all together sweet and sour love it amazing So the Omer in itself is always, I think, a combination of sweet and sour. There are things that we aren't supposed to do and there are things that we are supposed to do. We count about what counts and also we try to make sure that we really focus on each other and the holidays and the world around us. And sometimes that can be a little scary. I have to say, like, I love holidays in general. And while we're at our thank yous and closing cues, I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, My family, we always spent a lot of time celebrating the holidays in ways that we thought were important, but I think that we could have added something to make it even sweeter or more significant. And so Becky, Gabe, and more both deals with truly ensuring that we focus on the needs of everyone in our community and also reminds us of the obligations we owe religiously, mainly to the holidays of the Jewish calendar. How can we ensure that we're embedding both ethics and empathy into our daily calendar and the way we live, and also into these annual observances? Becky, we'll start with you. I love this question, so thank you for asking it. For me, especially as we're in the middle of counting the Omer, this Torah portion reminds me of the significance of um, specifically the high holidays, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Um, I always 
really, I mean, there are things about this tour abortion that, that do, um, that I find alarming and, um, I'm grateful for it because it always reminds me year after year that the work on oneself, both morally and spiritually and socially requires that when we prepare for Yom Kippur, for example, like we have to start now and, it pulls me into like the lovely obligation, but also responsibility of what it means to be Jewish, especially as someone who has an interfaith upbringing. And to me, like, I really had a choice. I grew up in both communities. And knowing that this great, great liberation that we've just encountered and um, been afforded through Pesach comes with the responsibility of doing the work internally of being Jewish and having that reminder, especially when for me, you know, like the Seder happens and then I'm like, oh, a little bit of a break, you know, Passover programming. <laughs> um, and then I say like, no, who do you think you are, Becky? Uh, you, you have to start the work, like continue the work. It's just a really, a really, really sneaky reminder um, that the work that we do um, for the days of awe that come um, a few months from now, like really starts here if we want to meet God face to face and hold our heads up high. And that it's ongoing, like the counting of the Omer, um, especially as it was related to leading up to Shavuot and planting and cultivating Everything that we put into ourselves every day is like a plant that grows and grows and grows. And once we stop thinking about it, once we stop thinking about it or stop planting that seed or like watering it, um, we stunt its growth. So that's where that reminder in, in particular in this Torah portion in all of its uh, growing edges just means so much to me when it comes to the work of moral, social, and spiritual responsibility. Incredible. Um, I really appreciate all of that, Becky. Give. I know that this is something you think about a lot as somebody who also spends a lot of time celebrating holidays, and so I'm curious to see your thoughts on this. I remember growing up um, that my parents always made sure that family dinner was like a really important, central thing in our lives. And that's totally a, th a thing of privilege, and that's um, not something that everybody has or grew up with um, or has the ability to do. That said, uh, one of the things that was really important uh, to my family, even as we got older, was that Friday night was always family dinner. You know, when we were in elementary school, it was a little easier to say, like, everybody around the table every night for family dinner. Um, you know, as you get older... You don't really have that option anymore. Everybody's off doing lots of different things. Um, but Friday night, we could go out before dinner. We could go out after dinner, but we had to be home for dinner. And from a really early age, I remember us going around the table and, you know, everybody share your high and your low. Um, what was the best part of your day and what was the worst part of your day? And around the time I was in like third or fourth grade, my parents added in. And what's one way that you helped somebody today? Which is just like, A, such a cute thing to like ask kids, how did you help someone today? But B, if we just had that simple check-in with ourselves at the end of a day, like, what was the best part of my day? What was something I want to improve on? 
And hey, what was one way that I helped somebody? What was one way that I embodied my values? What was one way that, uh, you know, I made the world a better place, even if it's something that feels insignificant? Because I think the more we check in with ourselves, the more we'll be mindful with it during the rest of that time. Uh, So yeah, that's what I want to encourage. I want to encourage, you know, what's your high, what's your low, and what's one way you helped somebody today? You will be happy to hear that uh, my brother and my sister-in-law, when my two-and-a-half-year-old, almost three-year-olds, you know, soon, believe it or not, my two-and-a-half-year-old niece comes home, they ask her every day, you know, what did you do that was kind today? Which is another way of saying, how how did you help someone today? But were you how were you kind today was a, a big deal. Um, I, I know that we've talked a lot about the Omer, uh, you know, which is, again, a habit of counting the days between Passover and Shavuot. And I actually want to give a shout out to my soon-to-be new home, uh, Temple Isaiah in Fulton, Maryland. And shout out to the staff there and, and my new mentor, uh, Rabbi Craig Axler, and I'm, I'm excited about this new job, but I want to shout out something they're doing that I think is really, really cool. They, every single day, are posting a picture with the particular day of the Omer, and they're doing a huge cereal drive. So each day, everybody is taking a picture with their cereal, boxes of cereal, that they're donating and they are ensuring that like this cereal is getting donated. I'm, I'm doing a quick look that it is going to the Howard County Food Bank just so that I make sure that I'm saying the correct information. Every day they have the blessing over the Omer saying thank you for having us fulfill the mitzvah of counting the Omer and also saying what day of the Omer it is with these like great pictures of people smiling with their cereal boxes so that they are able to not only count the days, but do something that counts in the days towards making sure that everybody has some sort of equal footing. And cereal, I don't know about anybody else, but cereal for me, love it as a snack, loved it for breakfast, sometimes had it for dinner, like sometimes had it for lunch. Don't like cereal doesn't sleep, you know, like cereal, like it can really make sure that people feel good. And so I'm I'm looking at the the Temple Isaiah Facebook page and have all of these pictures of smiling people with their with their cereal and I love it. And so I just want to give a shout out to that. That I think that even these small gifts, you know, these small offerings, if we remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about offering what we are able to, that's so powerful. Um, you know, and, and allows us to really be on equal footing. And I would also say Right. Is a bold Jewish thought, this idea of being able to give what we're able to and and make sure that people are also enjoying this holiday and seeing what people are able to celebrate for. And so I think they're doing all of this and then on Shavuot, like are going to be able to donate it so that people can have, you know, the Shavuot, this milk holiday. We'll be able to have cereal. So that's exciting. Um, All of which is to say conversations are important. Words matter. And so, Becky, if people want to continue these conversations with you, how can they best find or follow you? How can they be in connection with you? Okay. I just love cereal as well. I love it so much. So um, thanks. Thank you, Amanda. They can, folks can reach me at bjaye at trua.org or come to our website, emoreinstitute.org or follow us on Instagram with our handle, emoreinstitute.org underscore institute amazing becky i am so thankful that you are here rabbi becky j i keep loving to say it because i can almost see it as a banner across my screen 
right? But Rabbi Becky J, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. I am so excited that you got to share both the work of the more that you're doing with Torah, but also your own speech, your own words and your own message um, and, and how you carry those with you in, in everything you do. I want to give a, a, a quick thank you also, just an additional thank you to Rabbi Becky Jane. She doesn't know this is coming, but Gabe and I have spoken about this before. For our listeners, Rabbi Becky J was a huge influence on how we chose to really run this podcast. And we hope she internalizes that in the fact that we have constantly said that one of our major goals, along with helping people take ownership of their own Judaism in their own terms, in their own time, that we really wanted to uplift as many diverse practices, voices, experiences, beliefs, thoughts, values, ways of doing Jewish as possible and using this platform to make sure that as many diverse experiences and Jewish voices were heard as possible. And we we do want to shout out to you, Becky, that you are a huge part of us forming this podcast in this way. And so we're thrilled that you're with us in these days leading up to graduation and ordination. And we hope that you know what a powerful presence that you have had in every episode of this podcast, not just the ones that you've been on. And so a huge, huge extra thank you to Rabbi Becky J. I will say also a huge thank you uh, to my best friend, my roommate, my co-host, and my cantorial, you know, everything. Thank you, Gabe, for an incredible rundown, an incredible drink that made everyone really happy, except me, because I don't like egg whites, but that's fine. I don't have to use them. And thank you to Ijan, our favoriteest executive producer, who is running a really important concert, but don't worry about it. He'll be back very soon, I think, on the next episode. Thank you to Mike, our editor, for making us sound brilliant. We definitely needed it. All of us are a little tired tonight, but we hope it didn't come through too badly. And thank you to you, our listeners, for listening in and really being a part of the conversation, but helping us build this platform this entire way. We are so happy to be on this journey of talking about what counts, but also knowing that you all count the most. We love you. Stay tuned for our conclusion coming now. Hey, Amanda. Yes, Gabe. I loved our conversation with Rabbi Becky J. What'd you love about it? I loved the way she talked about uh, diversity, both being a strength, but also being something that's hard. And I thought I think you brought brought this up that you know the unblemished lamb makes everything equal, but as as she said, it also made it easy. It's easy to pick out the unblemished one. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to think about uh, the disparity between two people's sacrifices. And so, you know, it's easier to have a homogenous community, both in appearance, in thought, in belief. Uh, And yet we know that that's not how the world works. And we have to embrace that difficulty and that diversity in order to create thriving and really wonderful spaces and communities. You know, I think that that is really true. And one of the things that really touched me uh, just as somebody who works really hard at this is how human it is to try to strive to really make an effort to be and that when we are trying to be in relationship with each other, in responsibility for each other, in communication and response to one another, that that requires a lot of somewhat distance to get to that closeness, right? The ability to pause and think and reflect before responding or reacting, 
the ability to really take in what people are saying and to lift up their voice and their experience and maybe take some time before we just say the thing that we've been thinking about saying, right? Like a lot of us when we're in conversation is just thinking about what we're going to say next. And I'll have to tell you listeners, truly, running a podcast, you sometimes really do have to think about what you're going to say next because right we don't we don't think you want to listen to just some silence while we think of our other question but we have to tell you that really we listen we take it in that's where we get our pull quotes from and then we listen again before we release these episodes and can you imagine what would happen if you were to in a conversation listen really hear what someone has to say reflect on what they have to say smile confirm what they've said, affirm what they've said, and only then give your own response and your own take. How meaningful might it be if we really focused on this word and more, if we really focused on taking the time to speak and to be clear about what we want to say before we say it, or even maybe as we say it. With that, we wish you a wonderful week. L'chaim. We hope that you make it count. L'chaim. Hashtag, that was an Omer joke. Nice. Hi, I'm Rabbi Becky J, and you're listening to Drinking and Droshing Torah with a Twist. And did you know that maybe, oh, I see, I get it, wrong.